This is the John Oakley Show podcast. A new decade may be a new emerging world. I mean, this is what's happening in the Middle East. Some people are suggesting that this could lead to a conflagration at its worst. And uh, in the uh, at, at the very least, there's going to be this irresistible or inevitable response from Iran, and who knows what will play out as a consequence. But I wanted to unpack all of this with an expert uh, who understands the region intimately. Dennis Horak is a former Canadian ambassador to Saudi Arabia from 2015 to 2018 and the former head of the mission in Iran from 09 to 12. Mr. Horak, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Maybe we can uh, unpack this right off the top, uh, this assassination of uh, Qasem Soleimani. Uh, what prompted this? Is this in retaliation of something? Is it uh, seen as initiating uh, a new chapter? How do you see it? No, I think it was very clearly retaliation. The uh, the Iranians have been very active in the region for really, well, for a long time, but particularly the last several months, going back to last summer when there were some attacks on some tankers. Then in September, there was an attack on the Saudi oil refineries. But things started to ratchet up in the past few weeks. There have been some attacks on military bases in Iraq where there are U.S. Uh, personnel present. And then one uh, U.S. contractor was killed. The U.S. retaliated against the group, the militia group that did that, uh, killing 25 members of the group. And then the American embassy was attacked. And so I think this assassination was the American, was President Trump's a uh, strong message to the Iranians that, look, you know, enough is enough. You don't kill Americans. You don't go after American assets. And uh, we will cross whatever red lines we need to make sure you get that message. So I think that's sort of the chain of events where we are. Ambassador, when you say a strong message, because this is what uh, many of Trump's critics are suggesting, this was not proportional. Do you feel it was? Um. I understand the uh, I understand the view. I understand you know the, the, Soleimani has been in in uh, Soleimani's been in everybody's gun sites for a long, long time, and there was a reluctance to sort of step over that line because of the possible repercussions, which is what we're talking about today. But I think I think that you know the the, the, the Trump has made it very clear that you know enough of this that Americans are are, are not legitimate targets and. So it's it's a risky. There's no question about it. It's a, it was a risky move, and uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, the Iranians will respond. How they respond uh, remains unclear. I'm not sure they even themselves know at this point. But I think they've made it. They should be of no doubt. Clearly, it seems that you know, if you go after Americans, if you go after embassies, American embassies, as they, as happened in in Iraq, that the repercussions could be extremely severe. So I think it's it's in some ways too early to judge. Again, with Dennis Horak, uh, Canada's former ambassador to Saudi Arabia and the uh, Chargé d'Affaires in Iran in 2009-12. So your understanding of the region, uh, much appreciated, because you said earlier that uh, the Iranians, you didn't use the word saber-rattling, but, uh, you know, they have, uh, I guess, ambitions for the entire region. In fact, uh, it's been said that, you know, uh, Iranian hegemony is being challenged by the Saudis, the Israelis are concerned, the Gulf states certainly. So there's a real rift playing out in the Middle East here, isn't there? Yeah, and there has been for some time. The Iranians have been very active in the region. They they really want to spread their influence. There's a lot of reasons for that, but certainly they've been very active. They've been cultivating proxies for for, for decades in in Lebanon, in Syria. They were very active in in, in helping Assad stay in power. They've been since the, certainly since the uh, the uh, 2003 Iraq War. 
they've been cultivating uh, allies and, and proxies in, in Iraq to try and sustain Iranian influence uh, and enhance Iranian influence. And we see them meddling around a little bit, in, obviously, as well in Yemen. They, For years, they've been active with Shia communities in the Gulf, in Saudi Arabia, and Bahrain in particular, elsewhere. So, you know, certainly they're, they're not a, they are a very unconstructive force, let's put it that way, across the region, a very destabilizing force across the region. All right. And so uh, as we uh, see this response from Trump, like some people are saying it was a hair trigger response, but I, I guess it would have taken uh, a lot of premeditation from intel sources and so on and so forth, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, this wasn't just he woke up one morning out of the wrong side of the bed and decided, let's go after Soleimani. No, and, and Soleimani has, has been in U.S. gun sites, Israeli gun sites for some time, so they would have always had a pretty good idea of where he is, and he would have been an intelligence target, if nothing else, and 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 you know very clearly would have appeared on target lists over the years, uh, both in Israel and in in Washington. So it's it, it's not something that they sort of would have just pulled out of a hat. It would have always been there. Uh, decisions were made by other administrations and by the Israelis not to go after Soleimani, but. Uh, Trump clearly wanted to send a different kind of a message. Yeah, which uh, leads me to wonder, do you suspect there may be, rather than just sort of an ad hoc or willy-nilly approach to things, might there be shaping into focus a Trump doctrine for the Middle East? No, I wouldn't go that far. Certainly they've been putting a lot of pressure on Iran, you know, the, the, the uh, leaving of the nuclear deal, uh, the sort of position of maximum pressure, economic enhanced economic sanctions. So they've been trying to put a lot of pressure on Iran um, to try and bring Iran back to the table. So if, insofar as there's doctrine, it's about, look, you know, Iran can continue to do the kind of behavior that they have, and we want to make sure that that doesn't happen under their watch. It's maybe too far to call it the doctrine, but certainly a very different approach to Iran than, say, for example, the Obama administration had. Yeah, and when you mention this pressure internally, how's that impacting Iranian society? Because I'm curious about the dynamic. You were there, uh, mm-hmm. 09 to 12, the Green Revolution. I mean, that sort of, it died for lack of support as much as anything from, I guess, the West. But you tell me how this might play out going forward. Well, I think it died because uh, the Iranians crushed it. Frankly, um, you know, very brutal. There were there were killings. There were many arrests, and the Iranians, you know, they, they weren't ready to sort of take it to the next level. And we've we've seen, and economic sanctions remained in effect uh, all the time I was there. And then they certainly tightened. And then we had a nuclear agreement, and they they lessened a bit, and the economy did grow. But it's a country that's extremely corrupt to begin with, and the sanctions weren't completely lifted, and there was all sorts of issues about companies wanting or not wanting to go in. Trump came in and, and pulled away from all that and, and enhanced sanctions. And it's been very tight. It's been very hard in the Iranian economy. We saw demonstrations uh, in Iran for, for much of the last several weeks of 2019. And uh, that's, that's about Iranians wanting their lives back. They wanted to, to sort of a normal life. And, 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 and part of it was you know, uh, the pressures on the economy from sanctions, but also the pressures on the economy from what is chronic mismanagement and corruption within Iran, that there are companies, and particularly a lot of companies connected to the Revolutionary Guard, it must be said, but also to others within the leadership group. And the Iranians got fed up, and they were met by by massive oppression, as is the uh, in the Iranian playbook, and and many many killed. I've seen estimates up to fifteen hundred killed, uh, but also many thousands arrested, hundreds arrested. So this is what the Iranians do, and so it's you know I, 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 the regime is not going to fall. 
at this point. I mean, they're very they're they're able to sort of reassert their authority. There are there are millions of Iranians who continue to support the regime, as we've seen out on the streets uh, in the uh, funeral processions for Soleimani. So it's a it's a country that's very divided in many respects. But uh, I think my concern is that there are some, perhaps, in the U.S. administration, who think that Iran is teetering and we just need to push them a little bit, and it'll fall. And and I don't think that's the case. And this pressure brought to bear by Trump in killing the nuclear agreement and. Uh, because Obama had sent back that pallet of, uh, I guess it was frozen Iranian assets, about $150 billion. Some critics are saying, well, he's only doing it because, uh, you know, he wants to, I guess, uh, just reverse something that Obama brought in. Uh, But how do you see it, killing the nuclear agreement? Was that a wise move? Um, I don't think so. I mean, uh, there were a lot of false, faults with the agreement, and it, and you know, many of its critics, I agree with with the points that it it didn't touch on a lot of other issues, other concerns we have, uh, Iranian behavior in the region, its its missile programs, which are a, a threat to a number of countries in the region. So it wasn't a comprehensive agreement, and. But on the other hand, you know, uh, some agreement that either slowed or, or significantly uh, uh, um, delayed the Iranian nuclear program is a good thing. It's sort of it's a, a sort of a better than nothing kind of an arrangement, and and I think that's true. I, I I don't think I think the expectation that some had that the nuclear agreement would somehow and the normalization of economic relationships would somehow change Iranian behavior. I don't think that's an accurate assessment. So, uh, you know, the best hope was that, okay, the nuclear agreement, flawed as it was, was better than nothing. And I think still think that that was the case. And finally, uh, you wrote in your recent op-ed in the Globe and Mail that pressure for a response will be high and likely irresistible. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to speculate earlier, but I'm just wondering what form that would take. Again, attacks on shipping. Uh, do you think there will be attacks on American embassies or people? Uh, how do you see it? Yeah, and uh, it, it's it's hard to say at this point. I think certainly the Iranians are going. There's going to be uh, debates within uh, on what's the best approach. They're going to want something. I think that that uh, can be effective, that can be visible, that can sort of address the the, the need for vengeance. But I think they're also they're smart uh, and they'll be rational on this. And I, I I think it's probably likely there may be some things that happen um, with shipping with tankers, as we saw this past summer. Um, that there may be cyber attacks. Uh, although that doesn't give them the kind of visceral response I think they would be looking for. But the, the big question they're going to have to ask themselves is, okay, do we go after American, very identifiable American targets, you know, individuals and assets like embassies? Because this is what happened when we did it last time. And it's a bit, be an assessment. The Iranians are going to have to assess how credible Trump's uh, threats are. Uh, you know, he came out with this list of 52, which I think is just Trump being Trump, because the, if, 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 if he's legitimately thinking about uh, breaking international law and hitting cultural sites, nothing will unite Iran more, even those who hate the regime, than going after some of their Persian treasures, their Persian history, their culture, their, 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 their civilization. That will unite Iranians more than anything. So the Iranians are going to have to sort of try and figure out how legitimate, how credible Trump's threats are. They will do something, but it's, it's about do they go after the Americans? And if they do, and I think Trump was probably drawing a red line on that, he will respond. And that's when things can start to spin out a little bit out of control. So I think all's in right now, and they're trying to figure out the best response themselves. Ominous notes. Really appreciate your insight, uh, valued Dennis Horak, former Canadian ambassador to Saudi Arabia and the Chargé d'Affaires in Iran from 09 to 12. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Well, there you go. Uh, That's sort of an overview of what's going on in that benighted part of the world. Uh, It's 
I guess everybody's on tenderhooks kind of waiting. What's next? The next shoe to drop, so to speak. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 